welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew, and I'm the Marketing and Communications Director at Dietitian Connection. Today, we're going to be talking about the very fascinating nutrient, vitamin D. Understanding the role of vitamin D in good health and nutrition is the first step to combating the increasing deficiency rates we're seeing in Australia. And today we've got the great company of Sharon Natoli joining us to look at the latest research and recommendations around vitamin D intake and how dietitians can help patients and clients boost vitamin D in the diet via whole foods and simple food choices. So first, I'd like to say a very special thank you to Australian Eggs for supporting this podcast, and I'm so grateful to have the company of Sharon Natoli today. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Kate. How are you? Good, thank you. Yourself? I'm well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. So I'm just going um, to give our listeners a little bit of background um, about you. So Sharon is a dietitian, author, speaker, and director of Food and Nutrition Australia. And Sharon's expertise lies in creating and connecting messages about food, health, and nutrition with clients and consumers in a way that resonates with them and really inspires change. I love that, Sharon. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Yes. Inspiring change. I think that's what we're all about as dietitians, aren't we? De- definitely. And Sharon, you've been an advisor to Australian eggs for the past 15 years. And as a result, you're an expert in egg nutrition. Sorry, I couldn't help myself there. <laughs> I know there's so many egg puns, but yes, that's very appropriate. I have been working with Australian eggs for a long time. uh, So it's great to have the opportunity to talk about, I guess, something else outside of eggs and cholesterol and focus a little bit on vitamin D. Yes, yes. I'm really looking forward to this conversation Um, because, Sharon, you were involved in guiding the independent nutrient testing for Australian eggs in both 2007 and 2018 and interpreting the results into meaningful messages for consumers, healthcare professionals, and also the egg industry. Yeah, so maybe remind us, Sharon, just to start off with, what is exactly is vitamin D and why is it important? Yes, vitamin D is an interesting nutrient and I think most dietitians will probably agree um, because it's, I guess, not a a vitamin in the usual sense. You know, we think of vitamin C and vitamin A, vitamin E, and they're all nutrients that have recommended dietary intakes because they're essential to get them from our diet. Whereas vitamin D is a little bit different in that we can get our needs met um, through sunlight exposure um, if we're getting enough sunlight on our skin. Uh, And so the dietary um, intake of vitamin D is then a little bit more variable depending, of course, on how much sunlight exposure we're getting. So vitamin D you know, it comes in different forms, um, two major types of vitamin D, vitamin D2 and vitamin D3. And, um, and then, of course, it's converted to an active form through the liver, which 
then goes into the bloodstream, um, which is the 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And that's the type of vitamin D that we test for when we're looking at assessing vitamin D status. So vitamin D I've always found to be a little bit complex, uh, to be honest, um, because it's a little bit different to some of the other nutrients. Well, we're going to unpack a lot of that today, thanks to your help. So um, maybe just a... For reflecting on them at the moment, there's a lot of chatter about um, supporting the immune system. So could you explain what role vitamin D plays in immunity? Yes. Well, interestingly, I guess we all know vitamin D for its important role in bone health and uh, you know muscle function uh, and its important role for assisting calcium absorption through the small intestine. But there's so much research on vitamin D um, across many different areas at the moment, as many dietitians I'm sure will know because we keep reading about it. Um, but one of the areas that we know vitamin D is important in now is for immunity. And that's because the vitamin D receptor is expressed on different immune cells. Um, And so vitamin D has an effect on things like um, the expression of B cells and T cells and the antigen presenting cells. So vitamin D has an important role to play both in autoimmunity as well as helping to um, boost our immunity. Great. And um, what other current adequate intake recommendations for vitamin D? Yeah, so they do vary um, across age groups. Um, For children 19 to 50 years, it's five micrograms. And I guess another thing is in Australia, we we do refer to vitamin D intakes in micrograms, whereas often, you know, we see supplements in international units and then we've got to convert and that makes it a little bit more complex again. But um, so five micrograms in terms of the nutrient reference values uh, for children and adults up to the age of 50 years. And then as we get older, just because we, um, it, it, our skin as we age doesn't convert um, the vitamin D as readily and easily, then our requirements go up. So the adequate intake from 51 to 70 years is 10 micrograms. And then once we're over 70, it's 15 micrograms. Right. So then I should say, because we work a lot in labeling, you know, and, and I guess the work that we do with eggs and um, the recommended dietary intake in the food standards code is 10 micrograms. So it kind of, it, it sits in that adult, that older adult um, level. Great. And I'm really keen to get more into um, the intake data. So just looking at this, what does the latest research suggest? In terms of um, the adequate intake recommendations. Um, I guess one thing that we have to acknowledge is that the uh, you know, the NRVs are, are now getting on a bit in terms of when they were last produced. As we know, they were done in 2006. And since that time, I guess in the US, we've seen they have reviewed their vitamin D um, recommendations and they're a little bit higher than ours. So when they did their review, um, they, which, which was 2010, which is still, I guess, a little while ago now, but their recommendations in the US are 15 micrograms for people up to the age of 70 years, so a little bit higher than ours. And then once you're over 70, um, it's up to 20 micrograms, so also a little bit higher than, than ours. So once the NRVs are reviewed, it'll be interesting to see whether, um, you know, the vitamin D recommendations do change or not. But but I guess having said that, we know that many Australians don't meet those those levels that we have 
now anyway. So we've still got some work to do just in terms of, I guess, getting our intake up um, to current, current adequate intake uh, recommendations. And dietitians are a huge part of that as well, aren't they? Yes, for sure. Um, because we know that, uh, you know, people are getting less sunlight exposure and we've got to manage and, and balance that, you know, sun exposure message with, with vitamin, with getting at, meeting our vitamin D status. Yeah. Yeah. I'm keen to get more into that, um, in a couple of minutes, uh, just for the moment, what level or intake is considered a vitamin D deficiency? Yeah, so in Australia, it's generally considered that any level that's tested, so when your blood levels of vitamin D are tested, if they're lower than 50 nanomoles per litre, then that's suboptimal. So, and I guess specifically, um, it's important that at the end of winter and in early spring that we have a vitamin D level that's greater than 50 nanomoles per um, litre. Uh, and then if we kind of go down from that, a mild deficiency would be considered 30 to 49 nanomoles per litre. Moderate deficiency is 12.5 to 29, and then a severe deficiency would be anything that's less than 12.9, uh, sorry, 12.5 nanomoles per litre. Yeah, there's lots of numbers when it comes to vitamin D status and, and when, that, um, when it occurs and timeframes aren't there. Yeah, so I think the key number to remember is probably 50 nanomoles per litre. If you're below that, you know, it's not good. If you're above that, you're good. Yeah, that's good. Um, and what is the implication of vitamin D deficiency? Yeah, so, um, of course, we're probably pretty familiar with vitamin D and its role in, um, you know, bone health. So when we have low levels of vitamin D and vitamin D deficiency, then that can result in bone and joint um, problems and, and pain in those areas. And in older people, of course, it can increase the risk of falls and bone fracture, which in itself is a big risk factor big uh, for mortality. And then I guess we're also um, unfortunately starting to see the odd case of rickets, which is, you know, um, if kids have uh, long-term vitamin D deficiency, then that's a real problem in terms of, you know, softer bones and, um, and stunted growth and those types of more severe uh, problems, which we obviously want to avoid. Yeah. Um, Sharon, I'm wondering if we could uh, talk more about uh, the deficiency rates in Australia. Can you give us an insight into um, yeah, what those rates are like and also then maybe compare it to the rest of the world? Yeah. So uh, there was a study that was published in the British Journal of Nutrition last year, which was an analysis from the Australian Health Survey. And what that found is that it, the, the rate of deficiency in Australia is about one in, one in five, so about 20% of the population uh, were classified as vitamin D deficient. And, and there's another 43% uh, that were also classified as insufficient. So they're, I guess, worrying numbers you know for something that we can do something about and and again as dietitians we know that it's you know relatively easy i guess well, not for everybody but for some people to, to to in terms of raising awareness and then being able to take action to address some of those numbers and improve our long term and our, our immediate um health and well-being 
Um, in terms of comparing it to different countries, of course, it does vary a lot. So, you know, we can kind of go, I guess, from really high levels in the Middle East, um, which are, you know, up to 80% of the population have vitamin D deficiency, of course, because of the, the clothing and the lack of exposure to sunlight, um, which is then not compensated for from a, <clears throat> in terms of, excuse me, in terms of diet. Um, and then there's quite, there's variation also across Europe um, from, interestingly lower levels of vitamin d deficiency in the north of europe to higher rates in in the south and and western areas which is quite quite interesting because you might expect the opposite to be the case but that's what the research shows and if we look at the uk we're kind of similar to the uk um surprisingly too i guess we might expect the uk um to have higher rates given the nature of the weather and the the, the cloudy kind of shorter days that they experience there. Yeah, definitely. Are there any um, trends that you can talk to in relation to vitamin D deficiency around seasons? Yes. Yeah, so as we would expect, because vitamin D deficiency is lower in summer, uh, you know, naturally, um, particularly in Australia, most of us tend to be outdoors a lot more in summer and we've got that, well, usually a, a nice lifestyle that we can get out and about um, and, uh, 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 and enjoy the sunshine. Well, we can now too, can't we? We, we, yeah. we can get out and go for a walk By uh, in a <laughs> physically um, slightly isolated um, uh, era that we're in but yes I've, I've been going out more doing more walks myself I must say um, because you need to when you're spending a lot more time uh, just at home so Definitely. that's maybe one benefit of this <laughs> um, yeah so so lower in summer and higher in winter um, and the the research shows that um, in terms of the Australian Health Survey the rates drop down to about 14% in summer and get up to about 36% um, in winter. And, of course, depends where you live as well. So if you're in Queensland and Northern Territory, you're going to have lower rates um, of vitamin D deficiency even in winter. Uh, no surprises there, uh, I guess, and, and higher rates if you're in the southern, you know, the cooler areas like the ACT and Victoria and Tasmania. Yeah, great. So we, we've talked a bit about... Um, how being indoors versus outdoors and seasons affect vitamin D. Um, I'm really curious to explore more the food side of vitamin D and, and dietary intake. So maybe first off, what is the best way to boost vitamin D intake? Yeah, so I guess the um, impact of sunlight on the skin has the greatest um, effect but um, what we've found and, you know, really excitingly and interestingly in, with our work in eggs and doing the, the recent nutritional um, analysis is that eggs are actually really high in vitamin D and much higher than we previously thought. So a serve of eggs, which is two um, standard eggs, provides 8.2 micrograms of vitamin D, which is 82% of the recommended dietary intake that we use from a labeling perspective and of course it's higher than that um, when we, if we use the five microgram uh, recommendation in the NRVs for uh, people you know younger people so so in terms of so there's the outdoor you know exposure in terms of the the sunlight but then in terms of a common food that's really high in vitamin D, eggs are a really great um, solution. And I think that's a really, I guess, kind of key message for dietitians to know is that the reason why we're saying this now is because in 2007 when we did 
the original independent you know, laboratory analysis of a representative sample of eggs, we found that the vitamin D was um, much lower than that. You know, it was just under one microgram per serving. And then when we did it in 2018, we found it was up to that 8.2 um, level. And the reason is is because of a change in the testing. So in 2007, uh, we were only picking up the one type of vitamin D um, in eggs, uh, which was the cholecalciferol, um, whereas in 2018 uh, we were able to pick that up as well as the fact that eggs also contain 25-hydroxy vitamin D3. Uh, so when we combined those two together, what we found is that the, the level was much higher than we thought. Yeah. So, Yeah. So, of course, eggs aren't the only source. Um, Fatty fish (laughs) uh, is also a a good source. So salmon, excuse me, mackerel, herring, uh, and then foods that are fortified with vitamin D. So margarine um, is uh, is there's mandatory fortification of vitamin D in edible oil spreads in Australia, and then some milks and some dairy products are also fortified with vitamin D. Mm, and eggs are obviously a perfect example of how a whole food can provide vitamin D. So what did you say? We've got two eggs equals 82% of the RDI? Yes, it's very high. And and the thing about eggs is that they're, you know, they're suitable for all different life stages. They're, they're a food that lots of kids love, um, you know, easy to put in a lunchbox as a snack, a boiled egg. Uh, uh, you know, they're great for lunch, adults, older people, you know, and there's so many other good things in eggs as well. Yeah, they're nutrient powerhouses. They are. Um, yeah, that's great, Sharon. So you've um, you've talked a little bit about how meals can be changed to uh, incorporate eggs. If you were to just provide a, a simple food swap or two about um, how to swap something out for eggs for for those dietitians who are working with clients who who do need to look at their vitamin D dietary intake, what would you suggest? Well, I guess we'd always target the um, discretionary foods, you know, so if people are snacking on chocolate chip cookies or chips or, you know, those kind of snack products, a a boiled egg is a great snack swap. Um, And we often, you know, for some people don't really think about eggs as a snack. So that's one thing to consider. Um, And then adding uh, eggs as a topping, you know, for toast. So eggs on toast rather than maybe jam or honey or something that doesn't have the nutrient uh, density of eggs. Uh, And then I guess, and then for dinner, you know, if for kids, you know, you're much better off to give them some scrambled egg omelette uh, frittata than chicken nuggets or, you know, fish fingers or what have you, depending on the quality and where they come from. But you can obviously, you can get a lot more nutrition um, into, in those different times um, by swapping out some of those lower nutrient foods for eggs. You've talked a little bit about the different forms of vitamin D. I'm really keen to get to the bottom of a question that I think comes up a lot for dietitians. Um, Is it true that the vitamin D you absorb from the sun is different to the vitamin D that is absorbed from food? Uh, The short answer is no, uh, because the vitamin D that you, that your skin, um, the vitamin D that's created 
when sunlight hits the skin um, is the same type that you might get from like eggs or or other animal-based foods. You, you do get the, the other type of um, vitamin D, which comes more so from your plant foods, um, is different. Uh, so you don't get that. So the erg ergocalciferol, which is the vitamin D2, uh, is, is different. So that only comes from um, more your plant-based foods. Say like that's the type that you would find in mushrooms. Um, whereas the cholecalciferol, the vitamin D3 that comes from um, foods will be the same as what's, um, as what's produced when sunlight hits the skin and that will go to the liver and be converted to the 25-hydroxy um, vitamin D3, which is then circulated through the body. Great. And do we know, um, I have heard about putting your mushrooms in the sun to sunbake. Do we know uh, what form it is then in that case? Yeah, so that the reason why the vitamin D increases is because the UV uh, radiation converts the there's a plant sterile in the mushrooms that's converted to the um, ergocalciferol, so um, you get that higher amount. Really keen to get your thoughts on whether dietary vitamin D is important no matter what level of sun exposure you have. Can you talk to that? Yeah, so I, the you can get all of your um, vitamin D requirements met through sunlight exposure. So you don't have to have vitamin D in the diet. Uh, so the key thing is whether people are getting the amount of sun exposure that they need. So yes, the recommendations or, or what we know is that your requirements can be met through sunlight exposure. Um, but given that many people spend a lot of time indoors, um, we have sun protection guidelines for kids. We have older people in residential care not getting out very much. Um, and then of course, people uh, who who have who um, you know wear veils and and in terms of their what they're wearing and blocking out sun, the sun in terms of it being able to get onto the skin, then dietary sources become more important. And of course, to that point, we're sort of at the time of recording this podcast, we're going into the cooler months as well here in the um, Southern Hemisphere. So I imagine there'll be uh, many of us rugged up um, on our couches, <laughs> sometimes a little hard to go out for a walk or a run. It is. And uh, the recommendations for sunlight exposure in winter are up to kind of 30 minutes a day. Um, and it's kind of, you also need to expose some of your skin. So if you're walking in a cold um, environment, uh, even if you're getting out, I guess, in the in winter, you may not necessarily be exposing enough of your skin to the mm. sunlight to meet your, your vitamin D requirements. And, and I guess that's why it's pretty exciting for us to know that you know in a serving of eggs you can get 82 percent of the recommended dietary intake or you know the 8.2 micrograms because it just makes it um, a really useful alternative um, for people to to have yeah that's great two eggs equals 82 percent that's a really easy um really easy numbers to remember Yes, it is. Yes. And, so and we should put, put it in context too. And, and, and also say, you know, salmon provides about, and a serve of salmon provides around six micrograms. Um, and you will get, uh, you know, bits and pieces from 
dairy dairy foods, cheese and milk and yogurt, um, particularly obviously if they're, they're fortified, they're going to be a bit higher. Sharon, I'm keen to dive into the conversation around vitamin D from whole foods versus supplements. Is there benefit to having one or the other? Yes, well, I guess as dietitians, you know, it's always our preference to recommend whole foods over supplements where we're talking to a generally healthy population. Of course, if someone has vitamin D deficiency, then the way to get that up is through supplements because they give us a much higher dose. And as we know as dietitians, that that's what's often needed to recalibrate our vitamin D levels along with other deficiencies that we might see in terms of, I guess, general treatment. But in the general population, if we're healthy, then of course the benefits of getting vitamin D from whole foods is that you also get, of course, a whole lot of other nutrients and other substances that food comes with that we don't find in supplements. So if we think about, for example, getting vitamin D from eggs as a whole food, then we also get um, a whole range of other vitamins and minerals as well, things like selenium and iron and B vitamins and substances like choline and omega-3s and, of course, the protein. So uh, there's a whole range of other nutrients that, as as dietitians will know, uh, come packaged up in whole foods. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, And is there any research you've come across that can talk to the effect of vitamin D from whole foods versus supplements? Well, it's a really great question, Kate, uh, because at the moment, Australian Eggs are looking at uh, funding some research in that very area so that we can get a little bit more information about specifically how well uh, a food like eggs uh, can contribute to raising people's vitamin D levels, so testing the blood levels um, of, of a source like eggs versus supplements. So it's something that we're looking into uh, right at this moment. We'll be very interested in learning about the findings when you can release them. Yes, we're definitely looking forward to it. Um, we have a great research group um, that we've got lots of confidence in to, to, to do that study and, uh, yeah, looking forward to the results of that because it really does help to, you know, build a further case around, the, the I guess, the efficacy of the nutritional value of whole foods when it comes to maintaining our nutritional status. We know that's really important today more than ever where we need to be getting, you know, we need to be eating for many people less kilojoules um, because of our sedentary lifestyle but getting the same amount of nutrients. So, um, you know, nutrient density and the effectiveness of the nutrients that are found in foods is is an important thing to, to research. Great, Sharon. This has been um, a really interesting chat. I've learned a great deal and you've definitely helped me make sense of a lot of the numbers. Um, I'm wondering just to maybe wrap up and and think about maybe the, the key practical element here. What is one solid piece of advice that dietitians can offer to their patients relating to vitamin D? Can I say two things? Yes, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I would definitely say get outside, exercise outside, um, and also make sure that you're including eggs regularly in your diet. Two useful pieces of advice and a good starting point and uh, particularly useful right now given most of us are spending a great deal of time indoors. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks so much for your time today. It's been a really interesting chat and I really appreciate you um, drawing on all of the work you've done with Australian Eggs, all of the research um, and, uh, yeah, your very fascinating background in this uh, very fascinating area. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for having me.
And um, for our listeners, if you'd like additional resources about um, vitamin D and also all of the other um, aspects of egg nutrition and patient resources, you can go to australianeggs.org.au and we'll put the link in the show notes as well for that. Um, And I want to say a very special thank you to Australian Eggs as well for supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, we would really appreciate if you could leave a review for us. Leaving a review actually means the podcast gets to more dietitians and it can only elevate our profession if we work together. So please hit that review button. Tell us and other people what you thought about this episode. Another way to share your learnings from this episode and keep the conversation going is to take a screenshot of your phone screen, add your message and share it on social media. Don't forget to tag us at Dietitian Connection so we can share it with our following of over 30,000. Tell us what you learned and what future topics you'd like us to cover. If you'd like to access the show notes, they are available at dietitianconnection.com forward slash podcasts. Dietitian Connection is a global community of over 13,000 dietitians and we offer free professional development, job opportunities, resources and connections. We're committed to bringing dietitians together so we can create more impact and elevate our profession. And you can easily become a Dietitian Connection member for free by signing up at dietitianconnection.com.